0: My name is Leo Eisner, and my work seeks to create greater understanding of anthropogenic seismicity through both microseismicity and induced seismicity in general.
1: Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Off, in-depth conversations that Applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Leo Eisner on his upcoming honorary lecture, Mapping Pore Pressure with Beach Balls. In this lecture, Leo shows how they apply joint stress inversion to a geothermal and unconventional data set and illustrates how micro can be used to map pore pressure. And in this conversation, Leo breaks down the perfect audience for this lecture and the insights attendees will take away. He highlights how the bad attitude of a manager inspired this talk and what it means to measure data the right way and Leo explains why improving the understanding of induced seismicity is important to him. This conversation will showcase the value of asking the right questions and how to maximize the value of microseismicity for geophysical workflows. To find links to register for two upcoming sessions of this lecture and to read Leo's full biography, visit seg.org podcast or check out the episode's show notes where you're listening right now. And now, my conversation with Leo Eisner. Your honorary lecture is called Mapping Pore Pressure with Beach Balls. So why beach balls? Because we should spend more time on the beach, no? (laughs) Uh,
0: Seriously, Uh, the catchy title is originating from the jargon used by earthquake seismologists for graphical representation of the source mechanism. This is the expert explanation. The mechanisms are plotted as a circular diagrams with colored parts, so sometimes looking like beach balls. And they basically show how the earth is sliding inside pearl in the, in the reservoir or in the, in the earth. So my talk is how to take these mechanisms from geophysics to something practical to reservoir engineers. And that's the pore pressure. So. I can conclude that uh, I'm trying to go from the beach to the reservoir, what more do we can ask for?
1: <laughs> I like it when, when, uh, when names can be kind of cagey and funny, but also very applicable and scientific. Uh, good job on the title there. How do traditional stress inversion methods work? So traditional stress inversion methods have several
0: difficulties to overcome. Basically, stress is difficult physical concept to to measure it's described by a tensor with six independent variable at every point of space and it can be heterogeneous or changing in the space so we can imagine that uh, to describe some variable which is which has six independent numbers at every point of the space is difficult task um, and it makes you uh, wonder how easy it is for the reservoir imaging with just the P waves. Some methods which uh, use for, which, which we are using right now for the determination of the stress are breakouts in the vertical boreholes, which we can measure with the caliper locks. We can use uh, drilling induced hydraulic fractures to determine which uh, direction of the, of the stress and at what pressure uh, these fractures are creating. And we can measure the anisotropy, assuming that it's caused by the stress, we can then invert for the, for the stress or the orientation, sometimes even the strength. Some methods are more quantitative, or some are more qualitative. They result in values of this stress tensor. For example, minifrag or leakoff tests are used to determine the minimal stress. Breakouts and drilling-induced fractures can be also used to constrain well, the stress values, especially the minimum stress. ISIP or on shut-in pressure is a very good proxy for the for the minimum stress. Weight of the overburden is really good constraint on the vertical direction of the magnitude of the vertical stress. And HTPF, hydraulic tests on pre-existing fractures, can actually determine the whole stress field if you measure them and if you conduct this experiment in your borehole. Well, almost all of these methods, which I have listed above, are resulting in incomplete constraint except this HTPF tests on the stress. So we need something more, and this is something what I am trying to bring in with these microseismic events.
1: Yeah. Speaking of of those seismic events, what role does induced seismicity play in overcoming the limitations of reconstructing the full stress tensor?
0: This is the final missing piece, which we are trying to basically put in into the into the full stress description. Uh, the classical mechanisms constrain very well the orientation of the free axis of the stress, so that's three out of six unknowns. And in addition, they also constrain ratio of the stress magnitudes. And if we have the let's say from ISIP stress and from the vertical overburden weight, two additional constraints on the stress magnitudes, we can then determine the whole stress. But this has small assumption or small or big assumption, and that's that our stress is homogeneous within the era which we, we, we are studying and which we are looking at. And that's somewhat challenging.
1: What's the importance of using data from various depths in creating the full stress tensor?
0: So, it's the biggest heterogeneity which we have in the earth is the vertical or you know, heterogeneity and the stress changes resulting from the weight of the orbit in general. And Almost everything in the earth depends on the uh, on the depth, so we need to include this vertical increase of the stress in, in our calculation, because our micro seismicity is usually not confined to a single depth, it's in different depths, and that's this vertical stress heterogeneity, then can combine these measurements from different micro seismic places, uh, from the different micro seismic locations, enter inversion of uh, stress field with vertical heterogeneity due to the weight of the U.S. harbor.
1: What datasets are you going to explore in this lecture? I will show
0: application on the hydraulic fracturing from the Texas Barnett Shale, or classical dataset. Then I will also show application of the to the salt geothermal uh, field where we were, there was hydraulic fracturing carried out at different depths from the HTPF tests, and I hope to also show some CO2 sequestration application for from the Decatur project in the United States.
1: What do you consider to be the ultimate goal for this lecture?
0: To get the companies thinking about uh, what more they can get from the microseismic monitoring, uh, think outside of the box, uh, literally think more than just dots in the box solution, which is usually the outcome of the of the microseismic measurements. And people can realize this kind of measurement is more than just a fracture outline. It's, it really tells you more about the stress of the reservoir and can provide the constraints on this pore pressure. And I would like to motivate people to go further, to exploit this methodology, find somebody who has some wonderful data where we can actually measuring, quantified how accurate this measurement and this map is and develop it further.
1: What about your work and your study inspired you to develop this lecture? This
0: was the bad attitude of my manager who I started to work with Uh, when I was young. uh, He was, I was always coming back to him and showing him my beautiful beach ball diagrams and so proud of every little mechanism and he was so skeptical and telling me that nobody will ever care about this and pay for this mainly. So I want to basically overcome this bad attitude that innovation in our industry is not worse. And besides it, I got great inspiration from Mark Zobach, who really helped me a lot to develop uh, understanding of geomechanics. And I would really remember well, Franz Cornet, who really motivated us to go through this and actually outline the whole path to to get this pore pressure measurement. And I hope that he's going to watch me from up in the heavens now because he has died. He has passed away a few years ago, but I will do this as a commemoration of his great contribution to this work. And I must mention my main collaborator on this is Dmitry Alexandrov, who really developed all of this methodology, put it together and made the principal calculations which I will be presenting. He's a great scientist, and I have enjoyed working with him very much.
1: Yeah, it's really great to honor those people. You know, science is really built on, on the work and, and the shoulders of other people, and it's just lovely to see you continue that with this talk. Who do you consider the perfect audience for this talk? Asset
0: managers who want to understand their assets better and are willing to measure the data the right way. Ideally, we can look at the CO2 sequestration, saltwater disposal, site measurement managers who have good monitoring network to measure the crucial data. We need some, log, let's say, mini frac tests, or, and we need to have obviously very good or constraints on the microsystems. And I also need some students who are motivated and thinkers to do this.
1: What do you mean by measure data the right way? We need to,
0: we need to constrain the microsystems as well. This means we need to have the source mechanisms and we need to have them reliable. So for that, we need to have a good distribution of the, what the sensors in the field and record with sufficient quality all the data, which we are trying
1: to measure. What is a question you hope attendees will ask themselves after your presentation?
0: How can I send him my perfect data set for testing? well if they ask uh, how to fund uh, this research it would be also good i generally expect that people will ask about let's say some uh, stress heterogeneity and the relationship between hydraulic fracturing and and the stress changes uh, which are related to this to some of these assumptions which we are working with and we can have very broad technical discussion on this
1: what have you gained by participating as an honorary lecturer? You haven't given this lecture yet, but no doubt you've done a lot of work to get to this point so far.
0: It inspired me to do more and do it better. It basically, motivates. It. It's very much rewarding, you know, rewarding feeling for getting the work
1: done. Why is improving the understanding of induced seismicity in general something important to you? Because
0: it occurs, it actually has impact on our operations. We have seen some major policy changes related to induced seismicity and it not only bothers us, it can tell us more about the reservoir and so I ho- I want to use the microsystemicity because I am an expert on this to actually extract more and to predict, or to be able to, be, let's say, better mitigate some hazards, as well as, uh, let's say, characterize better the reservoir.
1: And lastly here, what principle teaching or point of view has helped you succeed in your field?
0: My major principle is to be honest and be frank about the data. So if the data doesn't contain the information for either my method, which I am applying or for, for what the client thinks we should extract, I need to be able to tell him either, in, either to the client or you know, to write paper about something that is, that is not making sense. So to be honest, that's the principle number one. And the second principle is teaching. It makes me think about the subject from a different point of view and makes me realize the connection which I have missed, let's say, first time I have been looking at it. So explanation of those on the field is very important to, to me, to to motivate me, to, to comfort.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Not only are you passing on your knowledge to other people, but you're learning things yourself when you're kind of forced to figure out how you're going to teach it. Is there anything that, that I didn't ask you that you would like to share?
0: I would just like to thank you for really great questions. <laughs> Uh, They made me think about (laughs) my uh, whole attitude towards the the subject. I think it's wonderful that I have this opportunity and I would like to thank the SEG for uh, giving me this opportunity and I hope people will be interested.
1: Well, I appreciate your time and effort on these questions as well. We will link to be able to register for Leo's talk. Uh, This will go out before... Uh, the presentation and you can ask live questions there, but you can also catch a a replay if you don't happen to, to catch it at the time that, that you give it. So I appreciate your time again. And uh, thanks for your, for your help today. Thank you very much.
0: And looking forward to positive work.
1: SEG produces Seismic Sound Off to benefit its members, the scientific community and inform the public on the value of geophysics. To show your support for this show, Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Simply go to Seismic Soundoff on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on your phone. It takes less than five seconds to leave a five-star rating and is the number one action you can take to show your appreciation for this free resource. And follow the podcast while you are on the app to be notified when each new episode releases. Original music created by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG Podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Allie McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.